Ain't technology wonderful? <laughs> Good evening to you all. It's always a pleasure to be able to speak to you on this occasion. It seems though at times we've been gone more than we have been home lately for a while. One of the things that you look back on and realize is it been that long. It has been nearly 50 years since I've started preaching. And it's hard to believe that, I, that it has gone by that quickly. But in that process of doing so, one of the things I've had to do, the same as you do when we talk to one another, and that is use words. I cannot say the things I'm going to say this evening unless I did express in words. You would never know what was on my mind. So through the years, this means of communication, this art called words, we've been able, through our preaching or through talking to one another, to stimulate one to think, to cause him to laugh or to cry, to stimulate them to their emotions, to either, you know, to do something or to calm them down for a moment. But one thing we do realize when we talk about words, we have to talk about this. Here is the only way in which God has talked to us through the years that we know what is going on in this, in this world, how He created things, how we know about God, how He knows the plan of salvation. These things we learn is only because of this wonderful written Word. It has become God's means of revealing Himself unto us, and we look upon it, and as we read it, we learn more and more about God. One of the fascinating things about this great book of 66 books full of words is no matter how many times that you read it, you never can say, I've learned it all. You can't never say, well, I've, you know, I've know all, I've read all of this, I know all the answers. It's just not there. Every time we read it, we learn something new. Every time we observe it, our faith grows deeper. Every time we read it and observe it and listen to it, we learn more about the God of heaven who created us. So this evening we're going to look at three words. These three words are not found in the Word of God. The concept, the meaning, definition, if you want to call it, explanation thereof, is found in the Word of God. But these three words are not found there. These three words are retrospection, introspection, and prospection. Now we know when we look at the word retrospection, we're talking about looking in the past. And when we think about that for a moment, we need to realize that when we look at the past, why are we going there? What is our reason or our purpose for wanting to go back and say, I want to look at what happened before in my life or in our lives of others? So we need to ask ourselves why. But when we ask ourselves why, we must begin with this fact. It's not always good to look back. We remind ourselves of Israel. This nation who had been in captivity for over 400 years, who had begged and pleaded with their God, and even as God told Moses, I have heard their cries, wanted out of the land of Egypt, out of this extreme bondage. The day finally came. The morning dawned. Pharaoh says, get out of here for that last plague. They leave the land of Egypt. 400 years of slavery. Most of them had been born and never knew no other existence. Leave the land of Egypt. Made it across the Red Sea and as across the desert wilderness, what happens? They begin to look back. Begin to look back. Why? 
Because at the moment, the wilds of the wilderness become too much. The things that they were going on as they made this travel begin to be too hard for them. And all of a sudden, as they begin to think about it to themselves, look back, Egypt wasn't that bad, was it? <laughs> you know, look what we had. We had plenty to eat. Crops were good. You know, they might have been rough on us a time or two, but yet they took care of us. We need to go back. Another one prime example is that of Lot's wife. Sodom and Gomorrah is going to be destroyed. God told Abraham what happened, and Abraham in turn let Lot know what was going to happen, that God was going to destroy these cities of the plains. They were told what? Not to look back at the scene as God destroyed those cities. For whatever reason, we'll never know. She looked back. It could have been for the simple reason that she began to look back at the fact that so many of those things that she had gathered through the years she had to leave behind and realize they're all going up in that fire and brimstone out of heaven. Whatever it may have been, she turned back and all that we have of her is that she turned into a pillar of salt. Her significance of that happening has to be important because Christ in Luke 17 reminds those Pharisees who was asking him about a sign of the coming kingdom, reminding them through that dissertation that remember Lot's wife. Remember her. Why? There's a lesson. And they all knew what he meant when he said that because they knew the story from childhood about remembering Lot's wife. So we have to say that not all retrospection is good. Why else would Paul tell his brethren at Philippi to forget those things which are behind? Why would he do so? Because in the past, there are things which we prefer not to remember. There are things in the past we don't want to dwell on. We don't want to talk about them anymore. We want them to be gone forever. And we'll do very everything we can to obliterate these things from our mind. Because we do not want to remember them because they're that bad. Mistakes. The sayings, the words, all of the past that we should never have said or wish we never got ourselves into. We wish we could go back and have the opportunity to undo it all, but that's not going to happen. We try to put them away. Why? What's been done is done. And we've always heard it said it is true that we should never borrow trouble from yesterday. Why? Because it becomes a hindrance, not only to now, but to the future. But at the same time, though, we must tell ourselves there is a great value in looking in the past if we have it for the right purpose and attitude for doing so. Why are we looking in the past? We must have some reasons, and it may be good if we're doing so. Have not many good things happened in the past that we do well to remember, to learn from? Maybe if we invite or engage ourselves again in these things, we can remember, oh, remember so-and-so when we did this, this, and this? We want to do it again. Let's look at what we did in the past. Maybe we might be able to improve it or carry on. So we look at the past in that reason. Because there is a lot in the past that needs to be imitated. It needs to be remembered. Why do we study history? Because we want to look at what happened in the past. We can look at the good things our nation has done, or as other countries have done, and look upon those things and say to ourselves, can we not do these things ourselves, or cannot we do these again? They worked in the past, let's work them again. So we look at history. Was that not what J.C. did this morning? 
Did he not remind us of the good things of the past of this congregation? And no doubt as we listen to him, we can remember the congregations that we went to in this area. Some still here, some are gone. And we can remember their past and the good things that were done there. So we can remember those things. Why? Because they're good to remembrance. Did we not this morning do something else that is good to remember? Did we not this morning observe the Lord's Supper? Is not part of it looking back? Is not part of it to remember the sacrifice of our Savior? Does it not remind us of the love of God? Can we not look at Calvary and look at that cross and not see the blood of our Savior and then really understand completely what it means by God so loved the world? It is good to look back. And that servants is done so. Were not the Gentile Christians at Ephesus in the second chapter, verse 11, 12, told what was it to exhort to remember what they were prior to becoming Christians. Why? Because he said, remember, you were alienated from God. You had no hope. You were without God. You had no promise. So he says, compare where you are now to compare where you used to be. And realize, look where you've come. Look how much better your life has been because you're now a child of God. Those things are forevermore behind you. So he says, look back and be grateful. Look back for it's profitable. Whether it is good or whether it is bad depends upon why we are looking back. What is the reason? What is the purpose? What are we trying to gain by looking in the past? But when we engage in it, let's don't engage too long. Let's don't stay there forever because we're going to impede the present and destroy the future. Word number two, introspection. Looking within. Looking within at the present time. This is what we call, what we would simply say, a self-examination. In the business world at times, they will call it taking stock or counting the inventory. We're looking over the books and deciding, well, when we started, we were at this, and through the years we progressed. Let's look back and, and look at ourselves now and see, are, we, are our company any better now than it was when we started? Looking at the very moment. The present, though, we have to be very consider, considered about because of the fact we can encumber the present by looking too much in the past. It said a moment ago. Because when we waste, when we look too much in the past, we waste the present. All we have is now. This service started at 6 o'clock. It's gone. We can't recall them songs. We can sing them again. It won't be the same. I can start this lesson over. It still won't be the same. That past is gone. Present is now. So regardless of what the past is, regardless of what we've done in the past, it is the present now that really matters. But even in the present, we have to say that there are times we may not like what we see at the present moment. We may not like the fact because we look at ourselves at the moment and realize, I'm not living right, I'm not doing right, I've done these things, this thing, why did I do this just now, so forth, we can go on and on. Well, at times we may not be too happy. But we need to remind ourselves we ought not to be too concerned what others think of us. Because others are going to think of us the way they want to. They want to think good, fine, they'll find good. If they want to think bad of us, they'll find bad. If they want to see both in us, they'll do both of that. Because they weigh everything out in that respect. 
But what is the greatest interest? Who should we be more interested looking at us? Is it not the God of heaven? Is it not the God of heaven? Why? Because God sees us in the way that we really are. Human opinion will vary about each of us. Others that see us will be based on human judgment, outward appearances. But what did God tell Samuel? I judge what? The heart of man. I judge that inward man in that respect. That does not minimize the importance of what others think of us and what we say and do. But it does emphasize the importance of that inward man and what God really sees. Did not the wise men of old remind us in 23rd and, uh, chapter and 7th verse of Proverbs, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So is he. Why? Because this is the person God sees. This is the person who God sees and able to know and to judge at this very moment how they're living their lives as a child of God before him. What does he see? What does he see? And the only answer to that question can only come from one person, and that is yourself. Why? Because introspection means a self-examination. A self-examination. What does that simply mean? Nobody can't do it for you. They can help you. They may think, they, and they may look at you and see a flaw or a problem, but really when it comes down to it, this is self-examination. Why else will the Word of God tell us like in Second John 8? Look to your what? Selves. Look to yourselves. In Second Corinthians 13 and 6, it's told there, examine yourselves, why Paul? Whether you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. We can look back at 1 Corinthians 11 chapter as it describing there the Lord's Supper. What did Paul tell every one of us to do? Let each one examine the other person. Mm-mm. Examine yourself or himself when they partake of the Lord's Supper. But you see, the self-examination means that we must compare ourselves to something. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. Uh, I know exactly the answer to this. Y'all do too. Let's examine ourselves by ourselves. Will that work? I think the Apostle Paul answered that question, didn't he? In 2 Corinthians 10, 12, did he remind us basically that we're not to do what? Not to judge ourselves or measure ourselves by ourselves. Why? Paul, because this is not a wise thing to do. Why is it not wise? I'm going to tell you something. Every one of us who will judge ourselves by ourselves is going to make doggone sure we look good. We're not about to admit flaws. We're not about to admit there's anything wrong with us. We're good. I don't care what other people say about me. I know I'm good because I'm comparing myself by myself. But when we measure ourselves, where should we look? In the mirror of God's Word. Why? Paul tells us why. In the chapter of Christianity in Romans 12, in verse 3, when he tells us not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, compare yourself to yourself, but to think soberly. What does that mean to think soberly? Right here. This is what it means to think soberly. 
It is to compare ourselves to the Word of God. Compare ourselves to the standard who is Jesus Christ our Savior. Compare ourselves to the teaching of the apostles, making sure are we walking as we should as a child of God. And compare it to what we have in the past, what we are right now in the moment, and look at it to consider what will happen as the future years go by. And when we look, when we observe, when we hold the mirror, this will force us to only see our strengths. It will force us to see our weaknesses. They are good things about each and every one of us. But there are also bad things about every one of us. We don't want to admit it, but it's still true. So through this mirror, thinking soberly, as Paul would remind us, we need to compare in our habits, our actions, our words, our attitudes, our deeds, our plans, our ambitions, priorities, values. In other words, every face of our lives. This is not merely laying on a couch at a psychiatrist's office. No, it's a serious scrutiny of our hearts. A serious scrutiny of our hearts. But the problem with this introspection is, it's not easy. It is a completely hard task to do. Because when we think about it for a moment, there are times when we look at ourselves in the mirror of God's Word, it is painful. And we don't like pain. And we don't want to admit that we've done anything wrong, so we don't want to look at it, but we have to. So that makes it very difficult for us to be able to do this thing called introspection. But again, we tend sometimes to forget that when we do look in the mirror of God's soul and compare ourselves at the present time, we forget sometimes we see some good things. We can see our strengths. We can see the things in which we have advanced. And we might say we can look at the ways in which through the years we have truly added the graces of God of Second Peter. That we're working daily to do that. There's our strength. There's the good things. That gives us courage and comfort. And knowing that our faith is truly increasing. That our love for God is going deeper day by day. Yes, this introspection demands, as we would say, a stern honesty that is very hard to swallow when we compare ourselves to the Word of God. But there is then prospection. Looking to the future. In other words, we can look at this and ask ourselves, where do we go from here? We say that to ourselves. Where are we going from here? We can say there's a congregation. Where's Wado going from here? What is the future of this congregation? J.C. told us about the past. We know what's going on right now, but what does the future hold for this congregation? What plans are being, are planned now to carry out as the future years go by? What about ourselves? As Christians, what are we planning to do as we move forward? We're not looking, and when we talk about looking in the future, we're not talking about a fortune teller. We're not pulling out the tarot cards and see what those cards read. We're not looking at a crystal ball of any kind. We're not turning to someone who claims to be a prophet. They're going to tell us all about our future lives. We're not interested in the horoscope. 
but we consider our future again by the mirror of God's Word. It is through this that we consider our plans. It is through this that we set goals. It is through this we determine the objectives that we want to carry out and generally chart our course for this day unto the years which lie beyond us. But not only are we determined those goals, we need to make the plans to carry them out as the future lies ahead. But there is one thing we have to understand when we look into the future. And that is we need to look in the future with this in mind. That tomorrow may never be. Tomorrow may never be. This is the reason why we live in the present. It's so important to us now that we can face the future. We can't linger in the past because it will destroy us. We cannot be satisfied with the present because it will stymie whatever future plans we may have in our lives and retard our growth. But our fundamental Christian principle found throughout the Word of God is this. We are to plan for what might be. That is, make future plans now of what might be. But also this. Plan for that which is inevitable. Death. Death. Why? None of us are going to miss that one. We can't blot it out of our future. We cannot say it's not part of my plans. My future involves this, 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 and this, but that's not in the picture. Mm-mm. Can't happen. It's inevitable. So we plan for what might be. But most importantly, we must plan for that inevitable. Where will we spend eternity when death comes and says, it's time to go home. It's time to go. The reason we look in the past, we want to make our future better, don't we? We want to look at the things we've done in the past. We want to look at the ways in which we tried to grow as a child of God. We want to look at the ways and things we did to pass as a congregation to learn from those things to help make that fu- and make plans for the future years that lie ahead. Because we want to plan ahead no matter what. No matter if the call comes before the morning bell rings. This congregation still be thinking forward, individual Christians as well. The reason we examine ourselves right now is because we will look at how we are at the moment and we want to look at ourselves and as we make those future plans, we want to see where am I right now? Where do I need to grow? Where do I need to move forward? What changes do I need to make? Make them now. Plan them now. Work on them now. So as each day goes by, each day that we're allowed to live, we can continue working on those goals and plans that we have as a child of God. But one thing we need to be very careful of when we plan for the future. Let's don't be one-sided. And let's don't become dreamers, (laughs) planners, I think we've heard planners call out the fact that somebody could talk a plan to death and never carry it out. No, 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 no. That's not what the future is talking about. We're not to become those 
and never see our goals ever come to fruition in the future. And those plans never become reality. Well, we need to learn something about the planning for the future. Setting goals is noble. (laughs) You do that at work. You make goals. What are we doing now? What do I want to do and improve myself as the years go by? At work, we make goals. And as far as that goal, that's commendable to make them. It's wonderful that you've got them set. This is what I want to do. This is how I want to improve myself. But that's not enough. That is not enough. You see, many goals that we make for ourselves are not reached. It's not because they were impossible. That we try to do something we know ourselves we could never have done no matter how hard we plan. No, 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 it's not that. They're never reached because we never put them into action. They're never reached. That's the hardest thing to remember. Making goals, writing down things we want to do is great. It's because we've never spent the time to carry out that which we wanted to do in our lives as a child of God. What do we want for the future? Again, only you can answer that for yourself. What do you want for the future? If you were to walk out of here and ask the average working man in the street, his future would be, I worked, I get 65, 66, whatever the, my time of, of Social Security is, and retire and go home and not do anything. If you ask that man, what he wants, to work and retire. But even when he's scared to death of one thing, dying before that happens. <laughs> He doesn't want to die while he's working. He wants to be retired for a long time and then pass away. We're enjoying those retirement years. What do you really want? What goals have you set? What things do you want to carry out? What part of the mirror of God's Word do you find yourself lacking in or that you want to grow stronger and you know you're there but you need to grow deeper into that subject or deeper into that area? You know what you need. And we can reach them. We may, at times, may not be, be able to progress as rapidly as we'd like to. At times, it may be slow going. At times, we may run into a wall and have to stop and think, all right, how do I get around this obstacle to keep going on? Because I've got this, I want to finish it. I want to see its completion. You work around it because you want to continue going on. In the future years, you want to keep planning and moving those goals forward day by day. We do need to know where we're going. And why we want to go there. We definitely need to know where we're going. And why do we want to go there. To a Christian, he knows why he's here. He wants to please his Heavenly Father. He wants to live his life in such a way. When he's asked, why did you live the Christian life? Because I wanted to go home. 
And home is that place described in the latter part of Revelation. After John finishes the apocalypse of that mighty book, in chapter 20, verse 11, he describes the place indescribable. And to every child of God, that better be their goal. Better be your goal. That you want to go to that place is indescribable. John tells you he can't tell you what he's seeing. It is beyond words. That's the future. That is the future. But we must look back. We must look at now. In order to look ahead to the future. To be able to have that place called heaven. When you look at these three words, even though they're not found in the Word of God, you have to say to yourself, there are no greater aims than these three. They're not found in the Word of God. Yes, that is true. But the concept, the definition, the explanation, whatever you want to call it, is there. Found within the pages of the Word of God. Explanation of what they are and why we should do what those three words tells us to do. If we said the past is gone, we can't change that. We can't recall it. Because if we could, every one of us would go back and there's a whole lot of things we'd change. And don't laugh and don't kid yourself. If you could, you would. But we know we can't. It's done and over with. The present is now. That's all God has ever promised us. He is now. This evening, if you're not a child of God, as you look at your life right now, as you look at your life in the past, you know that you're not living as you're not living as a child of God, you're living as a child of the world. In the past, even now, no matter what you may think or say or look at yourself, oh look how good I've got, I got a good job, etc., etc., etc. But there is something missing. And what is missing is that which satisfies that inward man. And that is becoming that child of God, buried in baptism, raised to walk that new life. This evening, this present, will look a whole lot better when you leave this place now that you're a child of God. And your future will be far more brighter than it is right now. You may have it good, you may think you have it good, but remember this, when you need and cry out in despair, you can't pray to God. But as a child of God, you can. And your Heavenly Father will listen and help you. But as a child of the world, Satan does not care about you, none whatsoever. Don't care if you're in pain. Don't care if you're in heartache. He just does not care. But the Heavenly Father does. See, when you become a child of God, leave this place with a brighter future and a better now. But this evening, as a child of God, if you strayed from that truth that you once walked in, if you look at the past of your life, you walked as a child of God. You did the things that God wanted you to do. You walked the best way you could for Him. But right now, your life is not as it should be as a child of God. Because you strayed from the truth. You're not walking as you should. And you know that. Because the mirror of God's Word is telling you, as a child, you've strayed from me. You need to come home. As a child of God, your future is bleak. As long as you stay in that condition, there is no heaven. 
And it's sad to realize the child of God to live the life and miss it. Use the opportunity to change that. Change the direction of your life while together we stand.